The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. It is June 1, and we're pod. Now this is podcasting. Podcasting. I know you're not used to it, but here we are, working for you in the summer on a day that we normally don't work. That's not true. We do work, but... We don't have live sports to cover. No. Is no. today, uh, I think today is actually the first day of the NCAA baseball regionals and also the first day of the, it is definitely the softball, softball college Cal- world series. Yeah. Alabama, Tennessee, I believe, teed it up and kicked it off at uh, noon, or they would prefer to tee it up and kick it off over maybe. Uh, yeah. Instead the of the third Saturday in October, it's the first day and first Wednesday in June, first Thursday in June. Yeah, yeah. Like that. So they got that going, but yeah, I think you're correct. The baseball regionals, some will start today, some will start, start tomorrow. tomorrow. Uh, uh, College World Series is going on. Uh, ETSU baseball season ended, and boy, what a tough kind of two-one game, Sanford. And I think that kind of dictated how the rest of the tournament went. But for ETSU athletics, the competition. Is over with men's golf. Obviously, made it to the national uh, championships. Didn't uh, after the 54-hole cut. Didn't make that, but still a great year for men's golf, men's women's tennis, and postseason play. Yes. Uh, softball able to make a little noise in the softball tournament. Baseball uh, definitely uh, had one of the more entertaining games that didn't go their way in that 2-1 loss. Uh, but still, yep. that being said, we've wrapped up spring season. The only thing to talk about uh, really is um, signings. And there were a couple on the uh, men's basketball front. There were. Do you want to fire up the portal? Because, I mean, this is technically portal watch. It's just the portal is opening and something is coming through. It's coming right at us. It's, it's basketball players. Portal watch. Well, it's actually a, a one portal, right? One, uh, one traditional. One portal, uh, one high school, and one JUCO. So I guess we, get, we need to talk about the JUCO first because I think that's yep. the guy that we're going to hear about the most. It's the name that our fans need to know the most is Kamari Peterson uh, out of John A. Logan College. That name probably rings a bell, uh, certainly for fans of the last, uh, I'd say, decade or so of ETSU men's hoops. You're, you've become very familiar with John A. Logan because three different players have come to ETSU and their college journey included a stop. Uh, in in Illinois. So uh, Peterson originally was at Indiana State. He was recruited very heavily by Chris Arkenberg at New Orleans, but ultimately chose Indiana State instead. That didn't really work out. He goes to John A. Logan. He tears it up. He's the MVP of the NJCAA National Championship game. And now he's coming to ETSU. And that pipeline has reopened for Brooks Savage getting John A. Logan kids to Johnson City. Yeah, and you, you didn't even have to say a lot. Most people, uh, especially the, the ETSU Twitter mafia, uh, was all over the connections and when they found out because they do a great job of trying to figure out who's coming on Sometimes they know this stuff before I do, and it's it's upsetting and also very entertaining. 
And, you know, they do a great job. And one of the things they did was point immediately to all the John A. Logan success stories. Yes. That uh, ETSU has had. And then, obviously, it's the, I believe it's still the same head coach, John A. Logan. It's been there uh, for quite some time. And Coach Savage had been recruiting that. So, a lot of ties, a lot of things. Uh, familiar, familiarity? Familiarity. Yeah, there you go. Uh, with the program between the two, and I think certainly – ETSU wanted to add a point guard to the mix, and if you look at his assist-to-turnover ratio, it was quite incredible, and yep. he certainly did a great job of taking care of the basketball, and, you know, he'll be fighting for time right off the bat, I would assume, with Alan Struthers. Yeah, I, I would assume uh, that he will have a, a very generous workload, or certainly an opportunity to get one for himself at the point guard spot. Um I mean, you don't bring a guy like this in to just yank him around. He could come in and and it just doesn't work. You know, stuff doesn't go right. But from a scheme standpoint, Brooks Savage strikes me as the kind of guy that's more of a measure twice, cut once sort of person. You ever heard that saying? Yes. Yeah, measure twice, cut once. Uh, it, Brooks strikes me as somebody that, that takes a very measured approach when he's looking at guys and, and identifying fits. And I, I don't think he brings Kamari Peterson in here if he's going to play, you know, 15 minutes and be a bit part of what this team is going to do. This this guy is here to be a guy. And that's something that ETSU was missing last year at the point guard spot. You know, Alan Struthers, first year playing college ball. Uh, Jordan King, um, not really a point. Not really a point guard. He was more of a two-guard, true two-guard. Same for DeAnthony Tipler. You know, they can handle the ball a little bit, but they're they're better off the catch and shoot. You know, when somebody's guarding you all the way up the floor, your, your game doesn't work quite the same way. So this is a guy that can create his own shots, can facilitate for the other team, can handle a guy that's got a hand in his face. And... That's the player that ETSU was missing in a big way last year. I would expect Peterson to play a very, very sizable role for ETSU in the backcourt this year. Well, if you know and you follow Steve Forbes and you've been an ETSU fan long enough, you know they love to try to make sure they have three point guards. They will roll a couple of point guards in. They will keep them fresh. They will want them running, uh, especially pushing the tempo and everything. So it, it you just looked at the roster, you know they needed another point guard, and then certainly they wanted a facilitator. And, again, if you go to the numbers, uh, Kamara Pearson was certainly that. Uh, great assist to turnover, yeah. plus he proved he could score. You know, the toughness they teach at John A. Logan, certainly you'd have to be excited about that. So a uh, lot, lot of things to like. It checked the boxes for needs of Coach Savage, and I think for the fan base, again, all you have to say is John A. Logan, and I think they just, yes, we, we three for three there. We haven't missed on one, so they're going to you know give you the benefit of the doubt, I believe. Yeah, those guys that have all come out of there have been really good. David Sloan obviously didn't come out directly from John A. Logan. He was from Kansas State, but he started in, in as a JUCO, then went to KSU and came to ETSU and – yeah, but um, that was the, the the tie was basically yeah you know, that was the that connection is what got him here with uh, the Smith Peters clan that uh, has run that program for the last several years. Um, also, we never talked about this. David Sloan hit a buzzer beater to win the British Basketball Championship earlier this spring for uh, Caledonia Warriors, the only professional men's basketball team in Scotland. They won. They won the British Basketball League this year. So, 
congratulations to uh, to David and that group. That was pretty cool. But yes, Kamari Peterson is the new uh, point guard edition via John A. Logan. Then the Bucks added another big to the mix. Josh Taylor opted to leave after the semester had ended, uh, which was a bit of a, a bit of a surprise and certainly a disappointment uh, to us. You know, we hate to see the guy leave. He had, he really seemed to be settling in here and starting to grow into a role. And he'd been short circuited a couple different times with injuries, but um, seemed poised to do something really fun, special next year. But life goes on, next man up, and the next man comes out of the transfer portal, and it's DJ Hughes, 6'6", 230 forward, transferring in from Butler, uh, has spent his entire basketball career based out of Indianapolis. He's from the area. He went to, I believe it was Lawrence North, and then on to Butler as a three-star prospect out of high school. Didn't really work out. He only played 15 games last year, missed extensive time with a concussion. Kind of a similar story to Taylor in that respect in that he was someone who had an opportunity if it was if it was there if he grasped it he could really grow into a big role but he missed so much time that it was hard to find a rhythm and then ultimately it doesn't work out and he leaves um, I think this is somebody who is going to add you know we talked about the the idea of multiple point guards I think the front court now with two scholarships left open, the front court is pretty much feature complete. And you're going to see a ton of Jaden Seymour this this winter. You're going to see a fair amount of DJ Hughes and a fair amount of Jaden Parker. And if one guy earns more minutes, they'll give him more. But, I mean, you could do like a 30-25-25 like a split across the four and the five for those three guys. And then Braden Illick will sprinkle in a little bit as he starts to develop into more of an interior post player. You know, last year he was kind of a perimeter screener with catch and shoot, want to be a pick and pop guy. That's where his skill set was. But I think they want to develop something more with Illick and make him into not necessarily a conventional Division One post player, but somebody who can post up, who uh, does get physical under the basket because he's got the size to, to do that. And I think Hughes does too. He's only 6'6". Uh, which is maybe a little small to play the four or the five, but in this system, I think it's going to make sense. Uh, and also, you're not going to face a ton of, you know, 6'10 guys, 6'10, 250 type players in the SOCON. So I mean, even 6'8, 255 like Jalen Haynes is pretty rare. So this is a guy that's got the size you need to bang in the, in the paint and to be a, an active part of ETSU's front court. So is he the trivia question answer, DJ Hughes, of the player to be named later in the Bo Hodges trade? Bo Hodges averaged like 8-6, eight and, eight and 9-6 and six at Butler. If Hughes comes in and does that, uh, we're, we're going to win a lot of games, I think. Because you've got Seymour there. You know, Parker's going to do plenty. He's going to block a ton of shots, going to rebound the ball really well, you know, be able to score some, some, some a little bit around the basket. I, I think if, if you get you know, nine and six or ten and six out of Hughes, you are over the moon. With that, that, that move worked at that point. Um, that would be really, really good for the Bucks. But I think their front court's done. I think their back court is still there's still one more element they like to add there somewhere. 
And I don't know if it's going to be the guy that they got in uh, in the high school ranks, but this is the second big-time high school prospect in the region that they've gone out and grabbed. Let's say the region, I mean the broader region of Appalachia, the South. Uh, they got the number one player in West Virginia in Makai Johnson, and now they've added the number two player in Kentucky in Gabe Sisk. These are players that, I mean, in past years, in past eras of college basketball, probably wouldn't really give ETSU a serious look. They would be going to power five institutions or high major institutions. And they are coming here. And I think, one, that speaks to Brooke Savage's ability as a recruiter, but also, two, it speaks to just how many, many high school guys are being left out in the cold because these players were not committed. They were not committed. They had not signed letters of intent. There was no release. There was no slipping through the cracks of another team's radar. There's none of that. They just, they were lightly recruited. They were not being heavily recruited. Teams above ETSU and the hierarchy of college basketball are going through the transfer portal. They are recruiting out of the portal. And so there is an opportunity to add some younger players, some high-end young players to this roster that maybe hasn't always been there for ETSU or similar programs around the country in the past. Sisk is a scorer. He shoots the ball a ton for a solid percentage. I think he averaged like 24 points a game his senior year. He, he's going to be really, really good. And this is a great addition for Brooke Savage, a player that's not going – I don't think he's going to come in here and start. Uh, same thing for Makai. I don't think Makai Johnson's going to come in here and start. But these are players that can come off the bench and give ETSU a lift early in their careers as true freshman bench shooters. And that's what those two guys have in common is they're both really, really good shooters in an offense that demands shooting. And now the Bucks have good young shooters they can go to off the bench when they need a lift. That's something that, again, last year's team didn't have when they needed it desperately. And the, the, the needs, I think, that this team had and what they needed to compete in the SOCON, I think those things have been addressed very effectively by Brooks and the staff thus far. I think a lot of things when you look at Coach Savage and how ETSU built their roster, uh, really from scratch, the, the first go-around is him and assistant with Steve Forbes. I think there's similarities on how they are trying to build their roster. And I find it interesting, his conversation about how things had kind of flipped because everyone was gobbling up freshmen and they were having to take transfer kids before that was popular. Right. And now, you know, it's almost come full circle. Yes, they've got transfer kids, but now they're starting to gobble up some freshmen. And I think if you – obviously, ETSU fans are, are kind of used to it because junior college and transfers, you go back to the glory days. I mean, they've happened. You know, they had some JUCOs transfer in that was really good. They had a guy like Marty Story was actually, you know, a Clemson and then transfers to ETSU. Of course, he's playing football, but transfers right. in. Uh, I mean, they've got a long history of that, you know, even with the Courtney Pegram 
days. J- yeah, Kevin Tiggs and Justin Tubbs transferring in from Alabama. So, you know, you, you're kind of used to it, but it, it seems like that is a comfortable route. And I think Coach Savage working with Coach Forbes in junior college uh, down in Northwest Florida, I think that certainly helped. Then again, every time he's moved to a new school, it has been with a new staff and you've started over. So, again, this is comfortability. You know, he's used to coming in and like, hey, we've got to, you know, I'm coming in because something went awry and we've got to remake rosters. And so I I find it just very fascinating how this has kind of taken shape. A little different than than last go around, but still taking shape uh, the way it has where he's, they've added right now, if my calculations are right, a couple of high school guys. Then you've got a JUCO guy, right? Then you have a D2 transferring up. Yes. And then you've got a couple of D1 transfers. And then you have North Florida, Butler, and Delaware. Delaware, Right. So you're talking about a a lot. You've got, you know, in theory, you know, JUCO, D2, both transferring up, if you will, or going Division I where they weren't, then the high school, and then the the lateral transfers uh, from Division I, Division I. Again, just – uh, fascinating, and you've got you know four or five players, uh, you know, kind of hanging on. It, it'll be interesting to see, but it, it, just knowing how talking at length many many nights with Coach Forbes on building a roster and positioning and what they want to do, you know, there's no doubt Coach Savage is either listened, got on board, or certainly maybe was a part of helping him come up with that philosophy. And so they've got two to fill. I think that they've they've honed in on one, depending on how it goes. I think they want one more guard to kind of flesh out the rotation, and then you would have one that they'll probably the, the typical yeah. Steve Forbes sit on. Well, I'd say you have you have eight guys in your rotation. You have three players in the front court, and then you have five guards that rotate at the one, two, three, and um, then you maybe sprinkle some other guys in with some minutes. Um, you're going to have some competition, right? There are going to be some younger guys farther down the roster. They're going to have to compete for playing time. You know, last year, Alan Struthers was kind of the point guard by default. And that's not that's not going to be the case this year. Uh, that He is going to have to earn minutes if he gets minutes. And the same is going to be true for everybody. Uh, but also, this team has a little bit of depth. You're going to have a little bit of buffer for, uh, against injury on the perimeter in particular, and you've got a really talented uh, uh, buffer uh, against injury on the perimeter. And then I think that that 13th scholarship, yeah, is a, is a player that if it's somebody that comes in that has to sit out a year, great. If it's a high school player that's maybe a bit of a project that you're thinking, okay, red shirt, but we can work with this guy, great. But I don't think the 13th scholarship is a player that will see the floor for ETSU if that 13th scholarship is filled. I think if they get one more, and and I think that one more is going to be a guard, and they do have somebody in mind for that spot, but it is not anywhere close to a, a finished, sealed deal yet. Uh, if that happens, I would say the 2023-24 roster is feature complete. ETSU and there may be one more guy that's added later but it's someone who is not really going to be a factor this year it's somebody who is going to maybe be a factor down the road for ETSU 
in maybe a second year on campus or a, a, in, in the, a, after a redshirt year or after a year in residence, whatever they end up doing. Yeah, the only other thing is let somebody fell in your lap. <laughs> that would be – which, does it yeah. happen? It has. Yeah. Is it normal? No. But, yeah, I think Keith is right in line with Well, I, honestly, I, I think, think you're – I think Makai and, and Sisk have kind of fallen into ETSU's lap here. Because these are players that, like I said, 10 years ago, these guys are going to A-10 schools. They're going to, you know, lower-end high majors. They're not coming here. And at least not out of high school. They're not coming here out of high school. They are coming to ETSU now. Those are players that, you know, when you talk about the portal and and how it can be such a game changer, well, now the market inefficiency, if you want to use that term, in, in terms of recruiting is the high school player. It's the high-end or or upper-middle high school player, the guy that's getting stuck in no man's land. And you asked me one time if it's important to maintain uh, high school relationships when everybody's recruiting the portal, and I said yes, because eventually you run out of other people's players. Um, But it's also important because if you're doing this now, if you're building these relationships now while other schools are, are pulling their staff off the road and just recruiting the portal you are going to have a leg up on a lot of other schools in the region because coaches are going to trust you. You're, they're going to trust that you're going to take care of their kids. It's an opportunity to build relationships with coaches you may or may not have even been able to get in the door with in the past. And so when the next great kid comes out of Ballard, and they have him every now and then, you know, Allen Houston came down here to this part of the country and was pretty good out of Ballard. I'm not saying Gabe Sis can be four-time All SoCon, but you know this is a it's a it's a program with a lot of tradition. And now you've gone in, you've gotten a great player from there. You're going to take good care of him. You're going to develop him. You're going to turn him into a really successful player. And that coach is going to say, "Hey, I know ETSU is going to take care of my guys. Trust ETSU; they'll take care of you." And the more you can do that. When you go into West Virginia, you go into Kentucky, you go into Georgia, North Carolina, you go to Nashville, hey, you build a hell of a basketball team that way. Just recruiting that area. You don't even really have to drive more than six hours. So this is this is big for ETSU, not just in the short term of, you know, getting this player, which Sisk, by the way, uh, ESPN rates him as a four-star prospect. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if we've ever had a four-star. Now, I don't totally trust ESPN's rankings because when you go state by state, there are some guys that um, there was one player in there that actually doesn't exist. I could not find any indication of that player on social media so uh, or anywhere on the internet. So, um, so there's that. But also seeing your name next to four-star on ESPN and having that guy coming to your school, it's pretty cool. Um, to getting those guys is, is a huge opportunity, not just in the immediate term or the hype of, hey, we got this great recruit. Uh, hey, he could make an immediate impact off the bench. But also uh, the, the long-term relationship building aspect of it because college sports is still built on relationships. And will always be built on relationships, no matter how much you, you try to inject money into it. And, and you should probably inject some money into it on the on the side of the players. We, we've talked about that and we can at length again. And Doc will sit in that chair over there and we'll talk about it again. And we have already. Uh, but 
it's still going to be about relationships. It's still about trust. It's still about building a bond with somebody that's, hey, I'm gonna, if you send me a guy, I'm going to take good care of him. We're going we're gonna to make a good place for him, and he's going to have a great time here. And when that happens, that's when you, know, you really start to take off recruiting-wise. And that's something that ETSU needs. And something every mid-major needs to have an ear to the ground on. But I think Brooks Savage might be a little ahead of the curve on this. Other news in ETSU, a couple guys have landed. Cameron George, uh, former walk-on, is going to go to play at Keene College down the road yeah. in Bristol. Yeah, there should be some opportunities. I know they had a couple guys that graduated. Um, so hopefully an opportunity for him. I, you know, I, I never had anything – I never heard anything bad about Cameron. He seemed like a great kid and – um, good you know, shooter, actually. Good shooter. Well, you know, he worked hard, and you know, he got he got the chance to come into a game, make a couple shots, and the bench really went off for him. So, um, yeah, it worked hard in practice. I, I I hope he gets a chance to play up at, up in Bristol. And then Cordell Charles goes to Northeast Oklahoma A and M College. That's yep. a lot. JUCO route, JUCO route for him. And then uh, still in the wind, Jeremy Gregory, Christian Shaw, and Jalen Haynes. Although I believe him in South Florida or. We are beyond appro- flirtatious. Yeah. I think we are approaching the. Uh, I think we are approaching. They're the, on their the th- third date. So we'll see I was going to say the thrilling conclusion of the Jalen Haynes transfer portal saga. So that's that's. It's been a minute for him, but that will uh, wrap up our uh, men's basketball portal watch for today. We didn't really have anything on anybody else. There's not really a whole lot else going on. Uh, I started to look into just don't care. Got a lot to talk about. Yes, I did know that. Did you know he's a good doctor? I don't know if he's a good doctor. He is a doctor. I thought he was a PhD. Yes. Okay. Uh, I was like, wait, I was like, let's not. Hang on. Are you telling me that he's a medical doctor? No, he's he's a PhD. He's he's a doctor. That's why I said I don't know if he's a good or bad doctor, but he's a doctor. Dr. Bruce uh, Atkinson, and so I've uh, met with him a couple times. uh, on his interview when he did it, and then when he, we first got here, and uh, he has been on campus about a week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not even that. He got here Tuesday. Why am I lying? He got here Tuesday. So what's that? Three days? He's three days on campus. Um, yes. Had to find him some shirts and some gear and try <laughs> to help him out there, as, as you would imagine, as he's uh, you know moved his U-Haul down and trying to get things going. But great accolades. I mean, that's the, the one yes. thing that – I think everywhere he's been, he's been coach of the year. And I think that's very hard um, really to find or to say. But many different stops. Uh, he actually started uh, in Hawaii. And it's kind of one thing, uh, Hawaii Hilo. And yes. One of the vol- – I'm trying to think of, let me see if I don't tell the story right. One of the uh, – Townsend went out there to play – or an AD or assistant AD, a Towson was in the league or whatever it was, and kind of met Bruce, and uh, they had interviewed for a job out there, and somebody needed to take him around campus, and Bruce happened to be in the athletic administrative office. It was like, well, hey, I don't mind taking you around. So we ended up taking an administrator around. Well, later on, an administrator was like, hey, we need a volleyball coach. That administrator says, hey, you need to look at this guy in, at Hawaii. And he's like, well, why in the world would we get him to – we're going to fly him all the way out here? And she was like, trust me fly him out here. So, they do. He ends up getting the Towson job. Doesn't and he was a two-time CAA coach of the year there. Yep. Then he goes to Winthrop, right? And yep. 
does a great job there. Uh, goes around to Delaware State, which is, is uh, was the, the, the last up he was at. Also, yes, coach of the year. So, outstanding accolades. He's going to step into a program that Benavia Jenkins, one of the few times where, you know, a cover's not bare when you come in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of. Yes. Kinda not, I, th- as, this team has got a lot of talent on it. Yeah, as George Corals will say, I did the wrong thing. I took over an 11 and 2 team. Well, you're talking about a regular season conference championship, yep. you know, that you got to take over for Coach Atkinson. And so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but just initial deals. We will, we will effort him as we always effort. All yeah, we want, to, we want to give him some time and let him get here and get settled permanently because I think he's still back and forth a little bit. But uh, Dr. Bruce Atkinson. I mean, he's been here three days. I don't want to try yeah. to hammer him over the roster and other things when he's, you know, trying to figure out where in the world is my office, right? <laughs> Let's let, You know, where is the Culp Center? Let's let him figure that out, and then we'll, we'll have him on and talk. Yes, he, wants, he needs to know where uh, the other Brown Hall is. That's my favorite one. Yes. I, I, I had this. I had uh, my very first day on campus when I was a student. I, I had this this very uh, nice looking young lady come up and ask me, "Do you know where the other?" She called me sir. First of all, I was like, "Whoa, back up." Uh, this, do you know where the other Brown Hall is? And I said, "I have no idea," but um, that's one of the great architectural quirks of any college campus I think I've been on is Brown Hall being split. They're doing away with that, aren't they? Because I know they're doing a lot of renovations at Brown. Are they gonna like knock down the dividing? Are they gonna are they gonna reunify Brown Hall? Uh, they that's a part of like a forty million dollar project, and I'm not uh, I'm not privy to the plans. I'm not sure. Okay. But whatever they're doing, they've added a lot of glass. Like, ah. It went from a lot of uh, brick to a lot of glass, or at least the half that I've seen. So I'm not real sure. Uh, are we talking about the same Brown Hall? Or are we talking about the other Brown Hall? Oh, well, we might be talking about the other Brown Hall, or the, <laughs> or the same Brown Hall. Again, you go Brown Hall, or Brown Hall. Brown Hall, Brown Hall, you can't go wrong. Yeah. yeah, there we go. All right. I don't know how we got sidetracked on uh, Brown Hall. Oh, yeah, because Coach, you just got here. You know yeah. Sorry. How many, how, how, we yeah. how, many, how many classes did you take in Brown Hall? I don't uh, I think it was only one. Yeah, what, what was it? Uh, uh, that's a great question. I took I think bi- it was humanities or something. I took, I took biology. I and think I had a humanities I did, the, I did biology lecture and lab, and uh, that didn't go well. So next year I came back and took astronomy. Mm. And that went okay, and then I took astronomy too, and that was a mistake. Uh, but it worked out. So it was either um, the weather and climate class or humanities. One actually, I don't I know if remember. I took astronomy two or if I took astronomy one again. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. It was over a decade ago. So that was back in the the core classes where you're just trying to survive. Just yes. the broadcasting classes. Yes, yes. yes like prob, prob, prob and stats. Oh my gosh! Get yeah. get your get your eighty one and get out of there. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. It, no, I'm not. So, some people, some people, times. some people did better than that. That's why I got an art degree. That's why I got an arts degree. That and also we have a really like we have really good arts here, like music, literature. Uh, I think sports is a performance art, as well. I would say it's an art. It's at the very least it's a craft. So we're a good arts and crafts school. There you go. Put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> played rock music for what has been a rocky reception. Oh! See what I did there? Oh, no. What is, what is, what is this gonna be? I know what oh, this is. Uh, the new SOCON commissioner was announced 
Michael Cross will take over on, what is that, July 1, I believe? He is July 1, yes. July 1, so he was at the spring meetings, which just wrapped up. And the only thing I learned from the spring meetings is that the Outdoor Track and Field Championships will go to Sanford in 24-25, West Carolina in 26-27. Softball will go to three different uh, sites in 24 at UNCG, 25 back to Chad, and 26 Wofford, actually. Will host their first Southern Conference uh, softball championships. Other than that, can I, I, can I lay down a hot take? Sure. Chattanooga should host it every year. I, honestly, I do not disagree with that. It's just a hot take because this is an ETSU podcast. But like Chattanooga has the best facility in the conference. Well, and I was just, I was just down there um, for the Memorial Day travel football with my seven-year-old boys yeah play, and it's on the complex right there campus right near where the softball complex on campus is and the uh division two national championships or the world series division two world series is being played there currently and so i talked to a few of the uh, uh, there were a few parents from two different schools that were staying in the same hotel we were and i was asking about the facility and they loved it and everything so as much as it pains me to they have an exceptional start. facility they they do and they do a good I mean job. USA softball's been down there quite a bit. It's 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 a really it's a really nice spot and um, they should host the championship every year. Baszler's good. I like Baszler Field. Um I, I, I like it more um when we play at night, which doesn't happen very often. When the lights are on, I think it's really nice. Uh it's nice atmosphere. You know, get you get like get like that, that six o'clock start where it's the setting sun. Right, it casts the mountains in silhouette. It's gorgeous, and then it's nighttime, and it really feels like, I don't know, games that are played at night feel big time to me, but some people disagree. Okay, so we got that out of the way. Here's anyway. the question. Anyway. The commissioner, a lot of people, as he always do, sent sent me a lot of messages about what do I think. And it's just like when they hired, you know, Jim Shouse. I, I, don't, I, I don't know a lot of the, the – a lot of yeah. the guys that get to be commissioners – I, I don't know that I've ever – I'm trying to think. I don't know every commissioner off the top of my head, but I don't believe I've ever known a commissioner. Now, did I know commissioners when we were in the league and they were – yes, of course. I mean, we knew Ted Gumbart. Ted hired me to do a lot of things. We was in the league, out of the mm-hmm. league. Certainly um, uh, Morrison when he, he was the first stint at uh, the Southern Conference and then I Marino and then Shout, sure. But, like, knowing a guy before they become a commissioner, I, I do not. And I even – by a few connections I would have had where he was at schools when I reached out to a few of those folks they were not there uh, when Michael Cross was there so other than what I've read that's all I know so they didn't, I know that's a little they, did, they didn't cross his path oh, they did not well, I should have did that yeah yeah they did not and I, it, just like Chouse uh, I, I don't I don't have much information I would love it if the commissioner had a podcast like this and just called it cross paths that's just that's easy. It's free money. Phil Perry, yeah, yeah, I take checks. No, I'm kidding. But do it. Also do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, this is I, this is kind of your. I don't I don't know what to call it. By the numbers higher. It's fairly standard, I think, for somebody to get their first commissioner job after they've been a successful um, uh, uh, external person external operations person at a big university and he was pretty successful at 
Penn State. He was the AD at Bradley as well before that. Uh, so there's uh, there's a lot uh, of of depth to his resume. He's very experienced. He comes in from the Knight Commission, which is interesting. Yeah, the that- Knight Commission's kind of a college sports think tank. Uh, so that's uh, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a commissioner plucked out of the Knight Commission ranks before. No, but. and and the, the interesting part of that is the fact that he worked with the specifically he was a coordinator for the College Sports Governor Structure Committee efforts of the communications team. Mm-hmm. So again, outwardly, you know, um, kind of like the external thing. I, it's just interesting because to see that route and again there were no, I don't know this is one of those private searches we will never I don't believe we will never know who all interviewed for it what was really going on unless the the president of Furman ever just tells people you know you, you can't really fool you that there's no so there's no everyone was hush hush I mean we talked to Dr. Sander um, who met with us uh in a senior staff setting, and we all asked him point blank, what do you know? And he says, I know nothing. I said, we've asked. Richard Johnson, who's the AD at Wofford, was the only AD on it. And yes, and the, basically the, yeah. it was a – they signed NDAs. So he told all the other ADs, I can't talk about it. And they all knew – He, Dr. Sander did say, when we go down there, I believe the new commissioner will be there, and that will be the first time we would have heard his name. And then when it was announced, I texted him, and he said, yes, that's the first time – that I'd heard that he was the, the guy. Now, I didn't follow up to ask, because Dr. Sanders uh, currently, as we speak Thursday, coming back to the Tri-Cities. Mm-hmm. I will try to nail him down, and if he does know him or know of some things, then maybe we can try to get him on the podcast to to, to tell everybody about him. But yeah. uh, to, to the short answers I got from Dr. Sanders, I do not believe, other than maybe they would have crossed paths at an AD, something another, I don't believe that that he knows. Him. So let's let's reframe this then. Okay. We don't know a whole lot about this guy, but we know a lot about the job he's taking. What do you think is the biggest challenge that the commissioner of the SoCon is going to face? The biggest challenge. The that- biggest challenge that that Dr. Cross will face is the commissioner of the Southern Conference expansion. Because some. T- teams I believe one expansion some teams I believe don't and most of those are football schools that believe in a balanced schedule of now they may be on board with a couple of basketball schools but I believe the and on top of that the public versus private thing will come into play that's where I was going to go and as the big level here is can you build consensus in a league that has, you know, a lot of doesn't really have a coherent identity. The, the SoCon doesn't have an identity. It's just it's just here. It's a conference that has a bunch of schools in it that are pretty good at sports and they're kind of want to spend on sports. But there's a lot of diverse academic missions. There's different priorities within athletics. There's different goals for their athletic programs and what they represent. Are they there to drive enrollment? Are they there to deliberately attempt to compete and win in certain sports? There are some broad-based athletic departments like Furman. There are some hyper-focused departments, and um, there are, they don't really seem to agree on much of anything. And this is, um, if this is going to be a brand-building exercise, 
And whether that brand building involves expansion, it involves new sponsorship opportunities, it involves relocating championships potentially. I mean, that could come up. It involves, you know, television contracts, whatever. Can you build consensus among a bunch of different groups that don't really even know what they want the SOCON to be? I mean, there are two things that everyone in the SOCON agrees on in terms of sports. Men's basketball and uh, not getting hammered on Title IX compliance. That's pretty much it. The only sports fielded by all 10 schools are men's basketball, women's soccer, men's and women's cross country, and women's outdoor track. So that, by my count, is five sports out of 21 that are fielded by all 10 schools. And only 11 of 21 have at least nine. That's way too low. We have to figure, and and that creates scheduling stress, especially in team sports. Men's soccer only has six. Really, really hard to fill out a, a, a good competitive schedule with only six teams. Baseball only has eight, so that's 21 conference games. That's not very much at all. Softball only has seven, so you get, what, 18 conference games. If you have one rainout, you have a dramatically different uh, um, record in terms of number of games played. You play a dramatically different number of games than everybody else in the conference. So I, I want the, the commissioner to figure out what the identity is for this league and then to get people on board with it and build consensus and work past a lot of the squabbling and infighting that's dominated this conference. And, I mean, we're we're party to that. We're also not immune to it or, or blameless in it, but we have to decide what we want to be as a league. And that's not just, you know, men's hoops where it's easy. It's also women's hoops where there's a different set of opportunities and challenges. You know, how do we push football back into the national scene when – I think we've pretty clearly fallen behind the Missouri Valley and the Big Sky and the CAA. The Big Sky is going to have two games on ESPN2 this year. You know, the Valley has the last umpteen bajillion national champions. Uh, the CAA has a lot of respect nationally. I don't know how much it's the, the programs that are in it right now have earned that over the last decade. But if if we're a baseball conference, you know, the, the team that hosts the baseball championship or the team that's closest to our baseball championship, dropped the sport and then uh, kind of, well, bluntly told its alums to pound sand when they tried to bring it back. I mean, that doesn't sound like a team that's committed to a major plank of the conference, if that's the major plank of the conference. We have to figure out what those are and then get people on board with them. And that's before we ever get to any specifics of expansion or how we utilize NIL to get recruits or this or that. You have to get people on board with your vision for the conference. And I, I you have about 30 days to lay that groundwork before you take office. And then from there, I think you probably have 12 months before inertia starts to set in and you start to settle into what the SOCON's going to be while you're here overseeing it. Uh, expansion, football, well, expansion, basketball, football more women's sports and i don't know if that's the exact order uh but though you know in a very short and then branding right i think the league i think if you had me in uh, the five seconds i just came up with the five biggest things if the commissioner said what do you think in a roundabout way that'd be the first five things that i would rattle off but again getting it has been tough to get and i'm sure uh you know it was tough in the ASM because there was so much turnover. Yeah. And in the SOCON, the first stint, 
I'd only been here for a year or two, whatever it was, year, year, 18 months, whatever, before it was like, hey, we're dropping football, we got to go. So I was unfamiliar with kind of the inner workings of that, knowing some of the workings as still in the Atlantic Sun Conference, working to get back in the Southern, now in the Southern, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where there is a great divide between the teams. And it's, om- and it's almost always private versus public mm-hmm. on almost all the scenarios. And, and then depending on what you talk about, the military schools will either align with the publics or the privates. Because they're kind of, a, they're a little bit of both. And some schools, again, basketball is of value, and some schools, football is of value, which I think is probably in some conferences, again, I don't think that's unique to just this conference. I mean, I realize the ACC in their bubble is, hey, we're basketball, but I would assume Florida State and Clemson some national championships have probably said, hey, we like to play a little football too now. So, we, we even have schools where baseball is a priority. You know, the Citadel. is Baseball is a huge deal in, in Charleston. Uh, baseball is a really big deal at Wofford. Uh, those are programs that really put a lot into building great baseball. And, you know, those are things that I think you need to find out what makes sense to support all of that and, and, and weave it into a bigger identity. Because I think if you asked, you know, eight of the ten schools in the Southern Conference that sponsor baseball, hey, do you want to be good at baseball? Yeah, sure. That, that's great. It's like, okay, how do we make the baseball league better? That's where you, everything breaks down. And that's, that's the challenge. It, call, it all comes back to building a consensus around an idea to move the league forward. And that's, the, that's something that the Southern Conference just hasn't really been able to do over the last few years. You know, Jim Shouse did a lot of good for men's basketball. He renegotiated the, the, the basketball TV contract with ESPN, and that got us a lot of national exposure or improved national exposure for men's hoops. But there's still a lot more to this conference and if we just try to throw all our chips behind one sport, then it's gonna get it's gonna get uh, ugly for everything else. Uh-oh. Are we gonna talk football? We talk football now? We are. I, was, I thought about playing pick six, but then I can't figure out how to transition from the our pick six into what we're gonna talk about. Well, I mean, I'm not picking six of anything. All right. So it wouldn't work. It's it's it, but it is it's go time for the preseason poll. It's happened on June first. Sam Herder at Hero Sports, who hates your team. It doesn't matter if your team is ETSU. Sam Herder hates your team. Um, Sam Herder, along with Dan Steenkammer, who covers the East Coast, and uh, Zach McKinnell, who covers the South. Um, those three have put together a preseason top 25 for FCS over at Hero Sports. The number one team, to the shock of no one, unanimous amongst the triumvirate, South Dakota State. Montana State 2, or rather, I'm sorry, North Dakota State 2, Montana State 3. I'm going to give you a guess, Sandos, at the first SOCON team in the poll. Team and number. First SOCON team, I'm... I'm going uh, Sanford, and I'm going to say 14. Wrong and wrong. Wow. 0 for 2 there. Uh, well, I figured the number ought to be wrong. but okay. Furman is fifth. Oh. Hello. Holy Cross is fourth, then Furman and Idaho are tied. 
then William and Mary, Samford at eight, Incarnate Word nine, Sacramento State ten, Southeast Missouri State is eleventh, tied with Weber State, then North Carolina Central, New Hampshire, Southeastern Louisiana, Montana, North Dakota, UC Davis, Mercer at nineteen. Jackson State, Eastern Kentucky, Gardner-Webb, Richmond, Youngstown State, and Rhode Island. Chattanooga was the second team left out. So, so they were number 27, basically. Yeah, I mean, just thing off the top of my head, if you were to say who's, which teams would be ranked or receiving votes, you know, no particular order, Sanford, Furman, Chad. Yes. That would I think that's the easy if you were to just do the southern which maybe maybe we'll do that here in a week or two. We'll we'll uh we'll take a look at some rosters and give us the all right, here's here's our preseason poll before we submit our preseason poll. Mm-hmm. Um but I think those three I think are very easily the top three. Um for anybody to take a look at and just without knowing anything and transfers and all the other, I think you just look at them and go, Okay, those are those are your top three. Yes. And then from there I think it's a little bit of a of a crapshoot. I think Mercer certainly um, you know, does Western take a, a step up? I think you got, you know, them kinda hang around the four or five. And then honestly, you know, new coaches at the academies. You know, year two George Corals, you know, what do you what do you see there? Yes. And I know some people have asked. They are, they are hitting the portal really hard. They do have some players that we can't talk about yet, but they're lining up commitments, and they have a fairly sizable number of defensive players that are ready to make the jump. And once those are official, we will uh, we'll be happy to talk about them. But and, and here soon they'll, they'll they'll be on campus. So it'll be very yes. easy to talk about. Yes. So, uh, but and then let's see. Uh, did I miss anybody? I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, Wofford, and the, but they've got not a first, a kind of, but kind of a first-year head coach. Year right? one point five, yeah, right. With, with so, Watson, and well, they've got so much personnel turnover. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Yeah, and you know they lost because they don't have grad school. Yep, they had they lost a, a lot massive of offensive line, turnover, defensive, defensive line. line. Michael Mason's gone. Who yep. uh, um, uh, um Amir Tenor and Anor. I cannot Anor. It's Anor. Well, I'm forgetting to hear an or to hear an or he went to Tulane. Yeah, yeah. He, but he was going to go to Austin P. We're going to have to take a look at, at him yet again, who was a great cornerback, but he ends up going up to Tulane. So a ton of uh, running backs, defensive players, offensive linemen. Yeah. I don't know kind of what Sean Watson started to look like he was turning some things, but he's in 1.5, as you say, um, corals in year two. Then you got two academies. So I think those are the four. Not sure, other than you know, Coach Corals and the offense, and Grant's gonna be a new offense. You know, they've got a majority of the offense back except for the line. They've got transfers yep. that we've already talked to that are here. There's transfers that they're still a week or two away from coming on campus to make sure that they show up. So, there's a lot going on there. And then defensively, that'll be the big question mark for ETSU. But we all say, oh, SOCON doesn't get enough respect, doesn't get enough respect, doesn't get this, doesn't get that. Um, well, how about this? The Big Sky had three teams in the top ten. The Valley had two. The SoCon had two. Yeah. The CAA had one. And so did the Southland and the Patriot League. But, so. but, but what have we talked about is if you do it in the postseason. Yeah. And you had Furman with a win at home. 
yep. Elon. Then you had Sanford to the quarterfinals, I think it yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. Again, just like ETSU, they're at North Coast State. Of course, they're having to do it with the, you know, uh, sort, sort of that weird situation where Liam Welch was hurt. They had, um, you know, the backup freshman in, Quincy, and then all of a sudden it was, you know, Crittenden, and then you go back to Welch. It was very odd. I'm not questioning Coach Hatcher. I guess he was there all week to figure it out. But they had – I thought they played a heck of a game. And yeah, Hires. Hires was hurt. Hires. Michael Hires. Sorry. Welch was two years before him. Um, but outstanding um, run by Samford. And because of that run, a win and a run. Then you look at Furman a win and just an entertaining loss and a tough loss against Incarnate Word. That was on an ESPN, you know, two game or whatever. So, I think, as we've said, if the SoCon can win games, right, in the league, that certainly gives you more – that gives everybody across the country faith in your league and your teams. When you continuously put two teams in and don't win, but now the Southern Conference has had a team in the top eight and those teams have won – and gone on to the quarterfinals, and Furman winning, and again, I think having a pretty good game against what was it turns out to be a pretty good Incarnate Word team, yeah. I think has kind of maybe started to turn the tide. Now, that will immediately go away, Keith, if ETSU and the Southern, specifically Southern Conference, none of them win a game next year. Mm-hmm. That goes immediately back to like you got to build some momentum. Somebody's got to deliver for you in the playoffs. It would really help if somebody who's on the bubble – at the end of the regular season takes care of business and like does all they can do to actually get them over the top into the postseason as well. Those things all will will matter and will stack up. But yeah, the SOCON now has an opportunity to put itself back in the conversation as, hey, this is a legit football brand. This is a legit football league. Pay attention to what's going on down here because these teams are really good. And I think Furman is going to be very good. Uh, their their lines of scrimmage are so good. They bring back so much. I think they bring back like ten of their uh, ten starters on defense or some some ridiculous number. They bring back the quarterback. They bring back most of the offensive line. This is a really really strong Furman group to get it started. Uh, Samford. I think some people have some reservations about their defense. Personally, I don't. I think they're going to do just fine there. And they bring back hires as well. And he can facilitate really well in that offense. So they should be just fine I would not be shocked to see both teams end up seeded this year whereas Furman last year got what a lot of people thought was the shaft when they didn't get a seed in 2022 I think they will make that will be rectified and it it would help too if a certain team just had to win a game at the end of the year to get in the playoffs I mean that would help the league it doesn't help me because I enjoy when they lose to end the year three straight times. But for the league purposes, if you believe in wanting to make the league stronger, that team needs to get out of that. Or insert whatever team is in that spot. Given an opportunity. And it all goes back to because it's a completely, you know, symmetrical schedule that you need to win those non-conference games. And for ETSU – One's going to be a non-counter. Can they knock off Austin P? And that would be a road win, which I think would certainly help there. And then is Jacksonville State, is that one of those teams transitioning that, you know, maybe yeah. you could sneak up on? They looked at ETSU's 3-8 and eight record. Maybe they 
you know, do a couple of uh, Alabama slammers the night before the game and not real worried about uh, ETSU, and all of a sudden, boom, goes the dynamite, and the Bucks do what they did to Vandy. I don't know. Let's throw it out there, Keith. Get it, get it like the slammer. I got, I got nothing. Okay. I got nothing. So. What do you know? We did a show. We did a show. How long was this one? Uh, 56 minutes, give or Well, it'll be 56 by the time it's over. 56 by the time it's over. Okay, that's not bad. I think next time, uh, Bruce Atkinson and uh, basketball players will be back on campus in late June. I think they get started on the 20th. We'd love to get a few, if not full interviews, some long bites of some kind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's, there's going to be plenty to talk about, plenty of people to talk to uh, over the summer. So we'll, we'll, we'll have fewer episodes, but they will be more jam-packed. Like when, one big macaron instead of a bunch of little ones. I do love macarons. You just now you're just thinking about macarons, hey, staring hungry. off into the I'm middle hungry. distance, I'm thinking hungry. about macarons. Tomorrow is National Donut Day. Celebrate National Donut Day with the Jay and Keith Show on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Eat a donut. Mm, donut. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!